Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, those words that state you are no stranger to our weakness in that song is one that uh, I have a difficult time getting my mind around. You, the God of the universe, the sovereign one, the holy one, had orchestrated a plan, a plan that entailed sending your son to earth, identifying with our weakness. And as we're going to see from the text today, far more than just identifying and letting us see a glimpse of you, but providing a means to have a relationship with you. Lord, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> if uh, you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. We have been looking at various Old Testament prophecies and how God has made a promise that is thus then fulfilled in the New Testament. We have uh, looked at such texts as Micah 5, a, a text says, but you, O Bethlehem, shall come forth from you, one who is to rule in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. He shall stand and shepherd his flock. Another prophecy, 700 and some years before Christ comes on the scene, Isaiah 7, a virgin shall give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And these are specific truths, these nuggets, and some scholars, they debate, but some say there's 60 of these prophecies in the Old Testament that foretell that this one coming, that is Jesus. But you could also state there are books that also convey this promise. And what do I mean by that? The last couple of weeks I've been reflecting on the Psalms, the book of the Psalms and the Psalter. It presents a portrayal of God and all his majesty, and yet at the same time it's a God who's lowly, who condescends to save and exalt his people who are poor and needy. And in so doing, the Psalter in many ways creates the theological infrastructure for the doctrine of what we call the incarnation. I know that's a 50 cent word, you will not be quizzed over it unless you come to the four o'clock. But let me give a definition to that. That's the act of God the Son, whereby he took himself on a, a human nature. That's the incarnation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who died one year before the end of World War II, stated concerning the Psalms, David prayed them because Christ became them. He is the one who was highly exalted, who came down and stooped. And you see that again, time and time again in the Psalms. Let me give you a couple examples. Psalm 113, the Lord is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. There again, you, you see this exalted God who stoops down and helps those that are in trouble. Psalm 76 is another theological gem for understanding how the Lord, often referred to as Yahweh, 
in the Old Testament brings about his enemy's defeat. And the exalted Yahweh assumes the role of the lowly Yahweh to save all the humble of the earth. The text states in Psalm 76, from the heavens, you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still when God rose to establish judgment to save all the humble from the earth. Again, time and time we see throughout the Psalms, there's this exalted God who condescends, and that is he comes and, and he, he enters our world, our time and space. I mean, think of the most familiar psalm that we know, Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd. And yet, what does he do? He walks through the valley. And so the psalms foreshadow this Lord who is going to come, I would argue, and dwell among us. This is the God we serve. And what a perfect picture here, if you would, look at Luke 2, 8. Who do we find? Some of the most lowly in the society, that is the shepherds. It's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. The shepherds were, this isn't a group of uh, royal court attendees. These are not priests that the angel appears to and the angels. It's not a group of scribes. It's those who were considered ceremonially unclean. They were outside the law. In fact, in many Jewish writings, the shepherds were seen as untrustworthy and what does the Lord do? He comes to them. He comes to us. Notice what the text states in 2.8. It says, now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field. Luke gives us two descriptors. The first of these is this. They're outside the city, the village, which is expected in the winter months. It's erratic rains. It's cold. They will bring the sheep closer to the villages for shelter, protection. We're also only about six miles away from Jerusalem, so many of these bobos will be used as sacrifice in the temple, no doubt. And notice it says they're keeping guard over their flock at night. You would expect this. There's wild animals, even lions at this time, robbers. It's precarious as a shepherd to be out here, but you have to protect the flock and the village sheep. And it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. <laughs> now remember, these, these are folks who fight off wild animals. <laughs> They're used to dealing with robbers, and it says that they were terrified. Luke mentions the word glory here in this verse and that occurs 22 times in his gospel, four times in this chapter alone. It's interesting, if you look at the term and how it's used throughout Luke's gospel, it's always attached to the appearance of Christ and the work of salvation. In other words, when you hear that term, you're thinking, okay, what is he referring to in the area of salvation? And Luke is highlighting this in the declaration. Notice what the angel declares. It says to them, do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I'm proclaiming to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. The angels give two instructions. First of all is do not fear. Uh, that seems to be the, the modus operandi or the repeated phrase throughout the Christmas story. Zechariah, do not fear. Mary, do not fear. Zechariah was told twice, by the way, do not fear. It, it's, it's constantly stated 
as we see God intervening time and space. There's nowhere to put this in a box. The shepherds, they've not seen an angel before. The glory of the Lord shining around them as well. And the angel tells them, don't be afraid. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Sounds like a junior high teacher, right? Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Why? Because I have three things. I've got good news. We see here, that's the, 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 we're going to see his reference to Christ. It's the gospel. It's one which brings joy, and that is a key theme through Luke Acts. And he states, it's to all the people. This message isn't just for the elite. As the Psalter has portrayed, our God stoops down and reaches us. And the idea here is seen. Well, what's significant is what then they declare, or they, what he declares in verse 11. Today, your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ. This is where the music starts to play. <laughs> because the angel has some very significant things to say about this child that's being born. And in fact, if we had seen the earlier passage up above, we'll see that Mary has already given birth to the child. Verse 7 the firstborn and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. This has all occurred. And the angel makes this declaration. He is, this is Jesus. As you see there, this Jesus is our, our Savior. I love the pronoun there, your Savior. It speaks of salvation. And the titles used often in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to God as the one who redeems, the one who rescues. Let me give you a psalm, just tying this together with the old and the new. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed or his savior saying, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords with us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Again, Psalm 2 echoes what we've seen here already. This exalted one who has stooped down to our level and has brought us redemption, a savior and the angel declares that the Savior that we have longed for, that you've longed for, is born. In addition, he is the Christ, which speaks of the Meshua, the Messiah. It speaks of the heir to the Davidic throne, the promises that God had made to David back in 2 Samuel 7. Already, Gabriel had told Mary back in Luke 1, she, the angel states to Mary, you will give birth to a son he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Psalm 2 ties in this, this one, this descendant of David who will reign. And here we see it's God himself. And the angel's not done. This is your Savior. This is the Meshua, the Christ. And he is, what, notice what the text says, he is Lord this is key to Luke's gospel. He will use it 14 times. The other gospels only use it a couple times. It's significant because in the Old Testament, that is the term in the Greek translation for Yahweh over 6,000 times. There is no mistake what Luke is doing. He is stating this Jesus 
is also God. You can't miss it. Bach in his commentator commentary states, the title Lord will become the key Christological term to describe Jesus. The term will clearly come to refer to the absolute sovereignty and divine relationship that Jesus possesses as the one who brings salvation. And this is what the Psalter promised, did it not? That the Lord, the exalted one, would come and dwell among his people and rescue them. And of course the sign is given, you'll find him, this baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. <laughs> not a court. Not in a palace. Not in the five seasons. Nope. Wrapped in strips of cloth. Lying in a manger. <laughs> I wrote a feeding trough for a crib, strips of cloth for a baby blanket. This is the God of the universe who lays here. And further support for the message that has been delivered, an angel, uh, an angelic army <laughs> appear with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. It's earth shattering. This is it. An earth, peace among people. In a world we live that longs for peace, here it is. <laughs> and that's seen time and time again in Luke's narrative. So this morning, who then is this Jesus? I mean, Jesus even asked the question, who do you say that I am? This morning, what are your thoughts concerning this one? Is it relegated to an event once a year? It's nice because you could exchange gifts and avoid the fruitcake. I mean, I don't know, right? Philippians 2 said, Who, referring to Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Stephen Charnock, in Puritan writer, makes this profound statement. What a wonder that two natures, that is, that he's God and that he's man, infinitely distinct, should be more intimately united than anything in the world, that the same person should have a, both a glory and a grief, an infinite joy in the deity and an inexpressible sorrow in the humanity, that a God upon a throne should be an infinite a cradle, the thundering crater be a weeping babe and a suffering man. The incarnation astonishes men upon earth and angels in heaven. Wow. Why? Why would the God of the universe need to take on human form? Let me give you a few. First is to identify with us. The creator of the universe, the highly exalted one, the, the creator, took on our creation, one made of clay. In weakness, he bore our coat of sin, to quote Augustine. 2 Corinthians 8, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. Why? Because he's the merciful high priest? Because the baby from Bethlehem will experience pain and human temptations? He will suffer poverty, loneliness, humiliation, betrayal? He will know the pain of slander, hatred, and justice? But without God's disclosure, all of creation would have spent eternity planning redemption, but would have ultimately fallen short. 
So for one, it's to identify with us. Secondly, it's an opportunity for us to catch a glimpse of God's glory. To know this God who's self-sacrificing, self-giving, loving, gracious, and kind. One commentator writes, In the eyes of men, God forgoes all of his power in order to show that he is the Lord. This is perhaps his providence's most puzzling and most incomprehensible mystery. The solution to know who God is, is for God to come and reveal it to us. And that's why Jesus can state, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's why John can write, we beheld his glory. <laughs> we saw it. Another reason that he took on flesh and dwelt among us was to serve as our sacrifice. Our salvation depends not only on his deity, but also on his humanity. Both have to be there. Sinful humanity is unable to produce even one righteous man who thus could atone for our sin. Without the Lord taking upon humanity, there is no suffering for humans, no fulfillment of God's promise for humanity, no return for the planned glory of humanity. In other words, Christ's death on the cross was not the tragic end of his human existence. It was the goal of his humanity. Think about that. 2 Corinthians 5, Christ became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. I love Stephen Vellum's work, God the Son Incarnate. He makes this statement, Our plight is so desperate due to sin that it requires nothing less than the enfleshment of God's own unique Son. His humanity cannot be an appearance. It must be genuine and full to bring the glory of a new humanity. The exalted God described through the Psalms is the same God who's the good shepherd. He is the one who has come, who has promised to walk through the valleys. He can do that. He has shown that he's sufficient. He has shown that he wants a relationship with us by what he's accomplished. He can wrap his arms around us. He understands he's walked this globe and he speaks to us through his word. By Jesus becoming flesh, also a son become, becoming man destroys the power of death and the devil. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus is that the prototype, the imperishable has risen to glory, he's raised in power. There's hope beyond this grave. And that would not have been feasible had Christ not come, if God had not dwelled among us. So this Christmas Eve, as we celebrate yet once again Christ coming to earth, what truths do we glean? <laughs> one, no one can accuse our Lord of not understanding. He is not the old man who wound the clock and watched things on earth unfold, hoping that things just turn out okay. He created the clock and he became the movement within the clock. This is not only the God of the Psalms, but of the entire Bible. In Hebrews 4 states, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He walked this globe. Secondly, nor can we say that God doesn't care or that he hasn't taken the effort. He knew us, recognized there was only one way to redeem us from our sins, I mean, think about it. Christianity is the only religion where the God has stooped down to such levels. Huh. 
What makes sense that Jesus is the only way depends on whether it's rational to believe that there is a personal, wise, and benevolent creator of the universe to whom we owe our existence. A person who, who takes an active interest in human conditions. The only solution to men and women's predicament is found in God, who is all-powerful. He is the promise keeper. He's gracious and he's loving. And he's entered our personal space so that he could die on a cross. And so finally, as well, we need to not say, I'm not sure or that I'm anxious or I just have no hope. Because Jesus has provided the definitive answer to all of that. 1 Peter 2, he himself, that is Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live by righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. Don't you love that? But you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There's so many imagery through there that, that the angel would appear to a group of shepherds because the one that they went to worship is the shepherd who has come. There's no other gift in the world that you could unwrap that's going to rectify human plight. No amount of money, fame, family, friends, power, drugs, sex, all those that might satisfy for a season, but deep down, you know they're bankrupt. There's only one. It's in Christ. This past week, I was looking at the news. Two individuals flashed across my feed, and one was Hulk Hogan, the retired professional wrestler. This past week, he was baptized, and he said, I've surrendered and dedicated my life to Jesus. He said, no worries, no hate, no judgment. And I said, amen. Wouldn't want to wrestle you, but that's great, even though he's 70. Or what about Masab Yosef, who's the author of the Son of Hamas? He's called the Green Prince. He's the oldest son of the Sheikh Hassan Yosef, a political leader of the Hamas organization. Masab is a Christian. In 2004, he accepted Christ as his savior. And he says, Christian love and forgiveness is the only hope for peace in this world. Yosef says, it's a beautiful thing to see my God exist in my life and see the change in my life. Wow. What do Hulk Hogan and Saab Yosef have in common? <laughs> they know Jesus. And they know what the angel declared. He is our Savior. He is Christ. And he is Lord. My prayer for you this morning is if you have not embraced this one who has come to dwell among us, the one who has given a means for salvation, that you would bend your knee. If you are a follower of Jesus, then rejoice and marvel at the amazing gift that God himself would come and dwell among us, just as he promised. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your word. Because in it, we read of these promises of old that yet are then fulfilled through your son, Jesus. We do not deserve these, this gift. We are 
a sinful people that deserve judgment, and yet you lavished your grace on us in your Son. You stooped from the heavens and from glory to come and dwell among us, lying in a manger, innocent baby for us. And Lord, the purpose is clear. The reason you came was to die on a cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with you. And Lord, it's a, it's a plan no human could have ever devised. And it clearly conveys that no human plan could have ever saved. And we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.